Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and we have a very special guest with us this week, my friend Howard Porter. Howard is the uh, current board member and past chairman at the Global Canine Companies. That is a heck of a story, but he's actually kind of a serial entrepreneur. So he's got a million good stories that cannot possibly fit into uh, the time we have allotted, but we'll do our best to hit the highlights. Uh, Howard, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Jeff. It is great to be here, and I have uh, really enjoyed listening to all of the earlier podcasts you've done. I've, I've been, been binge-watching. Binge I love it. I love it. Thanks for doing that. And uh, Well, then, as you know, we almost always open just with some context, and uh, I don't think I need it even safe from Auburn, Alabama, because they can hear the accent. It's not that hard to figure out, at least the region you're from. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite things is the accent uh, you have. But tell us about where you grew up, what your family was like, that sort of thing. Yeah, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, out in out in the eastern suburbs of town. We uh, had a great fortune as a five and a half, six year old to watch my my parents build a house, and uh, that was my first taste of construction, and uh, got kind of got got into my blood at that point. But uh, grew up fairly. Fairly typical uh, childhood there in the the, the early mid fifties. Uh, we were church just about every time the doors were open. Uh, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, church camps, uh, all, all sorts of activity like that. So I had a, a good solid uh, uh, up, upbringing in that regard. My uh, folks were, uh, I would say, uh, middle income. We we. Uh, never knew that there was a lot of things we couldn't afford because I never really m- missed out on too much. Um, but, but had uh, great, great parents, uh, three sisters. I was uh, the only boy in the family. My, my wife and others tell me that that shows that, uh, that I was the only one. Well, only in your sensitivity to women, I'm sure, is what. Uh, that, might, that might be. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Okay, so now you go off to college, and I know this is still uh, everybody needs to look at the uh, uh, headshot that uh, Howard submitted. Uh, that'll give you a clue about uh, his commitment to his university. But talk a little about that that experience. Yeah, well, I uh, I graduated from high school, and it was like, gosh, what now? Uh, it, it given really no thought to, to what I was going to do. Uh, along the way, I had, uh, it played football in high school, and what wasn't that great, but for some crazy reason, I walked on as a, a freshman there at Auburn University and quickly realized that uh, just about everybody else was uh, going home after practice and getting the bacon and potatoes and going back to their dorm. I, I was going back to the uh, the, the uh, cafeteria there at, at my um, place where I was living and working for my meals. By the, by the time I got home, there was nothing left usually but cornbread. So. It, it was uh, a, a, an early experience that uh, sometimes life just didn't fare. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so how, how much did, did you play uh, all four years? I can't remember how many years you played. No, I, I, I made it through the freshman year and it was, was pretty evident that I was not going to uh, get scholarship. And I, I uh, 
discovered that there were other things to do in college rather than uh, than, than practice and sit around uh, nursing your wounds. <laughs> not as much fun when you're maybe not seeing the field and don't have a scholarship, right? So, uh, but it got you to a great yeah. university, and and uh, but you you, you kind of had some entrepreneurial things going on, right? Was that out of kind of necessity or, you know, did you feel, you mean, you kind of mentioned the food thing. Were you kind of under stress financially during college? I was. My uh, my dad died when I was my, my sophomore year. Yeah. And it, I was pretty much on my own other than just the basics of tuition and housing. So I worked uh, pretty much the, the entire time I was in school. Uh, worked, worked at menswear, had uh, a, a job uh, working with a guy and selling firewood, cleaning roofs. Uh, I mean, you, you name it, if, if, if I could make enough money to, to, to get my rent and fraternity bills paid, I was, I was looking for something. And, we're, and how are we, that's such a traumatic thing to lose your dad early like that. Where were you in the birth order? I, I was the second, uh, eight, eight years difference between my older sister and I. So in a lot of ways, I was the, it was the older child. Two two younger sisters. Yeah. Uh, when when our dad died, uh, my younger sister and I were at, at Auburn, and baby sister was still at home. Well, and I know that we talked a little before we started recording about you know you I know you have a passion for helping kids in their faith, and I think uh, you know having such a traumatic situation when you're still kind of a kid. I mean, you know, even a sophomore yeah. college, I think, is a kid. You know, and you talked about maybe how that, you know, how, how did that sort of passion manifest? You said that you think the birth of that passion was kind of through that experience and what you felt and maybe what your sisters were going through. Well, it, it started much earlier. I mean, as okay. a kid, I was always uh, looking for somebody's grass, uh, a car to wash. Uh, probably one of the most difficult jobs I had was picking uh, wild blackberries and trying to sell them in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, you, you show up with blood running down your arms, little old neighborhood ladies uh, are an easy touch. <laughs> so you were doing that, but, and, and then you talked about, uh, I know we'll, we'll get to this probably down the road a little bit, but maybe we can sort of tease it out now because I think there's a string through your whole life here about, you know, your passion for helping kids uh, and, your, and that own experience. But uh, you, you want to talk about kind of that, that you're, I know you're very involved with Youth for Christ and that's how we met, but. You want to talk about how that maybe helped your sister or a little bit about that story? Oh, sure. Sure. I, uh, it, it, in, in, uh, high school years, she was very deeply involved in, in youth of Christ. And when our, when our father died, it was just, uh, she and, and, uh, mom there at home. And one of the youth of Christ volunteers came along beside her and just really loved on her and just showed her the love of the Lord and really helped her get through a, a, a very tough time. And I, I was not involved that much, really, at, at all uh, during the high school years. But flash forward uh, a number of years, when uh, my oldest daughter, uh, her her mom and I were in the midst of divorce, similar situation. She was just uh, just just really distraught. And one of the Youth Christ volunteers here at Auburn came alongside her and and uh, just really really showed love to her and uh, helped her get through it and. And, and through that, uh, the, the love of Christ really was reflected back on me by the grace that she showed me through that divorce, which was really painful. But uh, the grace she showed to me really was uh, a, a real boost to my faith. Man, I tell you what, I hadn't really thought of it from that angle that you just shared. Thank you for sharing that, those stories, because 
you know, I think a lot of times we think about the impact on the child's life that that these kind of ministries have and youth Christ in particular. But I, I don't always think about the then impact it can have on the rest of the family, yeah. you know? So I think that's beautiful that you shared that it, it impacted you in a positive way because you're so, of course, worried about how she's doing and, you know, what can you do? And, and it takes a village sometimes, yeah. you know, and that community and the fact that somebody else was also able to, I mean, you're doing everything you know how to do, but. Sometimes having somebody else come alongside to help, it also helped your relationship. That's just cool that I didn't, I don't always think about the ripple effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it did. It, 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 so, so. Well, you've got some amazing business stories, and I know it kind of started with real estate. You want to kind of talk about your early career a little bit? You know, this is a generous business owner podcast, so everybody's, almost everybody's a business owner, and they're on that. That, that treadmill, uh, some doing great, some in the pit, but, and you've been in both places. I know we've had this conversation, so will you kind of just take us through, take us a little walk through your career, if you don't mind. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it, it, uh, my mom and dad were in, in real estate. They had, uh, just a small, uh, two room office real estate company, just kind of, it didn't make a whole lot of money at it, but it, it helped, helped pay the bills. And I, when, when I got to school, I, I was not the, uh, most scholarly guy. As I mentioned, I got through playing football, and I, I learned there was more to, to college than, than just athletics, and uh, got involved in fraternity and all that goes with that. And then uh, my, my grades suffered, uh, and then when my dad died, the funding from home got cut off, uh, and that was right at the time that the uh, draft lottery uh, was, was in, in force. And the closest I've ever come to really winning anything, I, I was number three, uh, which is <laughs> but basically ground zero. So I. Uh, Found myself at a fraternity party one night, and one of, one of my buddies said, "Hey, I'm I'm going over to the National Guard unit to, to get sworn in. Uh, why don't you guys go with me?" So five of us ended up going, and we're we're standing there with our our hands raised, with pledge of allegiance, whatever we do. And uh, all of a sudden, one of them looked around, and it, this was 20 Special Forces unit there in Birmingham, and Green Beret movie had just come out, and one of the guys looked around and said, "Well, hey, I don't see a picture of the Duke in here anywhere," and so the the uh the guard recruiter said it's 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 time for you to leave son so it at the end of the night two of us got sworn in and the other three were sitting out there laughing at us i i went off uh and, and joined the guard and while i was gone studied for the uh real estate exam I'd, I'd alternate nights going out with the guys and uh going to the library and studying for that that exam and so when i when i got back to, to school i i took the exam and uh Became a, a real estate broker and started at that point. And as my college career turned a little bit, I realized I had to pick it up. I had uh, my mother had sent me a flyer on a uh, real estate appraisal course. It was being offered at, at one of the nearby colleges, and I, I took that. And it really was professional education, it wasn't the college course. But I I uh, had the foresight of going and talking to our dean there at Auburn and. and uh, pleading with him to give me credit for it. And he, he pulled my transcript out and looked at it and, and agreed that I, I need help getting out. So he said, I'm, I'm going to give you credit for this. And uh, if you find others like it, you, you can do that as well. So I, I took a couple of real estate appraisal courses and, and fell in love with it. Mm. Uh, so I, I spent the first uh, really 20 years of my career as appraisal and consulting being my uh, primary involvement. 
and uh, that that. And sorry to take you back for a minute, but I'm fascinated still by the National Guard piece too. Was that a, uh, a full time or was that a reservist thing? What what did that look like? The military service. It, well, it it, it was uh, National Guard, which equivalent to reserve. Okay, had uh, activity for training. Then ended up about uh, nine months, something like that. Went through basic and then regular school and learned to pack parachute. And uh, so was was interesting enough, sort of in the uh, aviation logistics business early on. Uh, and I actually tried to get a job with Delta Airlines uh, after I got out working at the Birmingham Airport. It, uh, it didn't didn't work out, but came, came back full circle to uh, my, my later life providing uh, uh the canine uh, training yeah. services for the airlines. Yeah, the, we'll, we'll we'll get to that because that is an interesting kind of full circle. But but you were you were kind of in that National Guard for a long time, right? Well, six six years. I, I fulfilled my uh, and, and it was uh, you know we worked. I mean we we worked. Uh, we we packed parachutes and uh, quite often we get a call midweek saying hey we had uh, uh, had had a load of parachutes come in. We're moving guard drill up and it it. Uh, it, it it took a lot out of my, my playing time for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so sorry to uh, take it back. Okay, now we go back to the real estate. So you find it's kind of neat when you find something you can kind of sink your teeth into. Sounds like you really sank your teeth into the real estate appraisal business. So uh, how did how did you finally kind of get into the doing the business part past the education piece? Yeah, well, uh, the only real job I had. Uh, worked for another appraiser there in Birmingham for a couple of years. And I, I found four or five of my close friends from college in the mortgage business, and they kept trying to send me work. And I said, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing commercial work, but uh, let me think about it. So I ended up leaving and started my own firm and uh, was just from, from the get-go was covered up with work. Which, I mean, I guess it's, I assume that business is cyclical like everything else, but I, I I mean, it seemed like kind of a blessing that you recovered up from the very beginning. I mean, it's kind of scary sometimes, even especially young like that, stepping out on your own. Uh, but what do you attribute that kind of early success to? Uh, a lot of it's relationships. Yes. Knowing people that uh, I was able to help them in their position, and then they in turn helped me by sending the business to us. And, and it was. It was a tumultuous economy. It was, it was the Jimmy Carter years. Yeah, uh, we're doing a lot of uh, new construction appraisals to doing a lot of foreclosure appraisals. Uh, first real estate deal I ever uh, in, got involved with, borrowed money at eight percent and rolled it all the way up to uh, eighteen and a half. Wow! Uh, so, yeah. so I, I learned to uh, change uh, environments. Yeah, and it it so you did kind of make that switch. Not everybody always does that. I know it's not terribly uncommon, but. What was that transition like from being kind of an appraiser to a real estate investor? How, how did that take place? Well, it, it uh, you know, you mentioned that term serial, uh, serial entrepreneur. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a parallel serial entrepreneur. I, yeah. I've always multiple things going on. I just, uh, I guess it's ADD or ADHD. need to bounce around a little bit. And so I had, uh, you know, I was always looking for opportunities and, uh, Got partnered up with a couple of buddies, and we we did some. Uh, this was before the, uh, the 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 fix and flip days, but we yeah. that, that's what we did. We bought some houses and uh, fixed them up, and, and worked toward flipping them, and learned a lot about uh, the, the the psychology of partnerships and uh, mm. 
business relations with, with friends and being able to separate the, the work of the business from the actual investors. Was that, uh, found that that's where a lot of uh, partnerships break down and good friendships end up being destroyed uh, because you, you're not uh, separating those two aspects. Would you think that was the, I just think of that old line, uh, partnerships are the hardest ships to sail. Uh, and I know you've had all kinds of them because of these uh, all the businesses you've been involved in. And I bet those uh, lessons have paid dividends. But I mean, you kind of mentioned it, the separation of the two, the business and the friendship. But how do you practically work that out? Well, what I found out the hard way is from the beginning, you, you look forward to how you end it. Uh, so in, in your early agreements, you spell out, here's, here's how we unwind when it, when it comes to that. And you, so you're basically recognizing that, that uh, things do have a natural life cycle to them. Uh, so you, you have that in place. And then the other big, big thing is uh, too often you get a group of guys go in that say, let's start this business, you know, all for one, one for all. But invariably, one or two end up doing all the work. And uh, at some point, they feel like they're being taken advantage of. And the other guys are, uh, you know, might feel like, you know, gosh, I need to be making more of a salary because I'm, I'm equal partner, but this guy's uh, get, getting paid uh, more than I am, even though they're doing all the work. So you, you have to differentiate between the, the investment in the business and the work of the business and make sure you're, you're paying the people that do the work a market-based wage, and then what's left goes to the investor. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, you just saved somebody a lot of trouble just there with that one because it it sounds like a simple statement but it's so easy to imagine hey it's just the three of us let's all just get in there you know what i mean and do whatever needs to be done and then suddenly you know those uh incongruities raise their head and you're like oops and then it's harder to redo it right like oh well now we're gonna put a salary in place and separate it's just easier to do it from the beginning so those are a couple of really simple tips, but yes. man, uh, powerful. Those are, those are, yeah. how do you end it and separating the investment from the, uh, so it's structurally doing some things to kind of head off the disagreements before they happen. Right. Absolutely. Uh, another good lesson I learned of a, a, a book, I think the original book, a guy named Michael Gerber, uh, the email. Yeah. And it's my favorite. They, an easy read, but I mean, basically the whole idea is you, you start out, even if you're the only guy in, in the shop wearing 20 different hats and swapping them back and forth, you, you analyze what are those functions. And then as you grow, you begin to take off those hats and hand them off to somebody else. But you, you start out treating it as if it were a franchise and you, you write down the, the, the rules and how things work and your flow to change. You study changes before you make, and that's uh found that to be good advice. Man, I'm right on the money. I think isn't it in that book that they they use an example of the baker who wants to you know open their own bakery, and then uh, next thing you know, she's in her own bakery, but all she's doing is making the cookies again because she wasn't able to yeah. hand off the bacon to go open the multiple stores she wanted to open, and. Uh, I think that's why you and I aren't wearing any hats today because we've handed out all our hats. <laughs> and, and the hair that went with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, it could be stressful handing those things off too. That's a whole other 
podcasts. Well, those are some gems. But then now sometimes these, it, it, you can, if I'm skipping too many steps, tell me and back me up. But I, I just, I love this canine story. I, I introduced you, of course, as, as, as being on the board of this global canine company. And so sometimes these real estate deals turn into unexpected businesses. Is it time for that story or do you want to tell one or two before we get into that? Well, I, I, People ask me to tell them about it, and I, I used to say, uh, you know, this is about a two six-pack story. Yeah, well, that's, that is true. Have, have, have enough cold beers to, to, to live through it, but it's, it's, it's probably more than that now, for it's the way it finally ended up. But it, yeah, it, uh, it started off as a real estate deal. Uh, it, it helped my son-in-law and one of his friends uh, develop a, uh, a pretty sizable uh, canine kennel. His friend was in the canine business and uh, just needed help with it. And that's, that's what I did at the time. A lot of development and uh, uh, deals and happened to be on the board of uh, Community Bank here. And so we, we, we helped them develop it and got it financed. And, uh, man, things worked great for, for a year. And then their company sold. And when the new, new owners took over, within the course of uh, really three months' time, they had run the trainers off that, that were training the dogs. They had lost their contract with the VA where they were uh, providing dogs for PTSD uh, veterans. And they had defaulted on our lease all within 90 days. I mean, he got, got uh, he, he threw away a half million dollars that he'd invested in that period of time. So I, I went to every veterinarian in town uh, trying to find somebody that would lease a kennel that could hold 80-something. And it, it was pretty big, so not, none of them were willing to, to bite the bullet. And in that process of, of uh, closing down uh, the, the, uh, the tenancy of, of the other owner, it tracked the, the trainers down, and uh, they said, well, you know, we, we could possibly get that contract back with the, with the Veterans Administration. And I said, well, let me lease this thing. I really don't want to be in the canine business. I, you know, I, I tolerate dogs, but don't know that I want to be in that business. Well, I could, couldn't find a tenant, and so went back to them, and, and lo and behold, we, we were able to, to, to line up that contract and uh, ended up going into partnership. It was a husband and wife team, and the lady, was uh, she was disabled uh, vet, and so we were 51% of her, 49% me, and on the strength of that uh, disabled uh, veteran woman-owned business, we were able to get that, that contract. And I mean, things things start off right. We 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 were doing well. I mean, really, a a heartwarming deal seeing the, these these uh, mostly Vietnam era vets coming in and being paired with these dogs, and, and then hearing stories of of, of the, the just the wonderful changes in their lives that that were made. But a, along the way, we, we started getting these guys coming back. Uh, the, you know, bringing the dogs because most of them were my age. They were, they were Vietnam vets, uh, you know, guys up, up in their late 60s, uh, early 70s, been on their own for a long time, and all of a sudden, they've got a constant companion, and it, you know, it's tough. And they, so they take care of. Yeah. yeah. They called the VA, say, look, I, I got to give you this dog back, and so that problem was close to coming to an end. Uh, they, they weren't going to renew it, but in that interim time, my business partner, she and her husband ended up divorcing. Her husband was was a trainer, South African guy, a world class canine trainer, but severe PTSD himself, and he he had uh, some severe episodes and just really went off the rails. So they ended up divorcing, and 
she said, look, I, I love these dogs. Running a business is just about to kill me. And I thought, well, great. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen when you're in, involved in a, a business that's based on the status of your partner and, and uh, your partner doesn't want to work you? Exactly. Well, worst thing that could happen, happened. But she said, I've got this guy that I'm, I, I want to introduce you to who's interested in taking over my ownership. And so met my current uh, partner, the CEO, by the name Eric Heron, and a wonderful guy. Uh, he, he's an Army Ranger, retired uh, battalion commander. Uh, six, 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 what is it? Six, Big six black belts. I mean, wonderful business experiences, both in the canine world and as, as well as other, uh, government, uh, contracting. So he came in and, and what had been the worst thing ended up being the best thing. I mean, he's had a wonderful, and so it just, uh, took off. And so we, we kept doing what we were doing and the, uh, you know, that little startup business that was dependent on one, one big contract with the, the Veterans Administration ends. And gosh, that's, that's a pretty bad, bad deal. But uh, through my new partner's contact, we were able to get signed up with the Department of Senate selling uh, uh, the dogs to, to the Army and the Air Force. And so by 2017, I think we were the largest provider of canines to the DOD, which was great. But very subjective in their, their grading standards and just really had a difficult time making money at it. And so we, we decided we, we got to do something different. We're going to succeed. And so we, we, we uh, decided we were going to get into the services business, uh, but basically hiring employees and, and pairing them with, with a canine and then uh, putting the, the team out there on an hourly or, or contract basis. And so we, we started started doing that and uh we got a contract with a new jersey company came in and they had uh what sounded like an incredible opportunity uh doing doing uh security at nuclear facilities hmm. and we started off we were, we were just going to, to acquire the dogs and train them and their their handlers well they came evident that, that we were a lot better at hiring folks than they were so we started doing their hiring for them and in a matter of months we, we ended up going into partnership with them and I mean, it, 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 gosh, it was going to be a great thing, great margins projected. And before we knew it, we had about 245 employees. Well, half, halfway into that year of, of 2018, found out that this whole deal with this other company was built on a uh, fraudulent uh, deal. Contract was, was bogus. And so I ended up having to lay off 165 employees. Wow. You you talk about the, the next worst thing that could happen. That that's probably the one of the lowest days of my life that, that we had to do that. Uh, and so we we scrapped and scraped, and I was pulling every penny I could to to, to, to keep. I mean, we at, at this point had about two hundred fifty dogs that that uh, wow. we were trying to take take care of and feed on a regular basis, and it's, it's expensive. Uh, you know, was was paying for housing that a lot of these guys had rented uh, around the country where they had already been employed. So it, it was a tough time. Uh, but a little bit later that fall, the uh, federal government came out in, in the, the CFR, the, the uh, uh, third-party canine cargo screening. Well, one, one of our business development guys had been involved in helping uh, our congressman get that, that uh, whole system set up. And, he said, "Guys, this is a real deal," and and so we we ended up uh, uh, when when that when that thing hit, we we had our application in the next day. 
And so in, in December, we were the first company certified to offer canine carcass screening, third, third party. And we had, we, we had 250 trained dogs. We had 200 some odd employees that had just been laid off. Not many of them had, had, had gotten jobs. And so we started hiring them back. Wow. And, uh, we, I mean, we, we, we had gotten, uh, some, some contracts uh, with, with a couple of the freight handlers. And I mean, we, we got folks put out all around the country. It was like land rush sort of deal. Uh, and the, uh, excuse me, phone kicked in. My apologies. Oh, uh, so we, uh, we, we, we ended up, uh, uh, putting guys all around the country, sort of like the land rush deal, staking out locations everywhere there was a car. San Francisco, Chicago, LA, New York, New Jersey, Miami, uh, Atlanta. You, you name it, if, if large amounts of cargo were going through there, we hired folks and uh, were out seeking contracts. And through that, we we were the only company out there working. And at the end of December, much like we've been faced with here recently, Congress uh, ended up shutting the government down because they couldn't get a budget deal put together. And so, again, worst thing that could happen, we're relying on the, the uh the TSA approving us going into new locations and we were out there working, but couldn't go into any new location, which was awful. But through that process, all of our potential customers saw us out there working and we started getting contracts. And then we found out that while we couldn't expand, none of our potential competitors were even able to get out of the starting. And so it, it turned out being, again, the best thing that could happen after what seemed to be the worst. Thing. And so uh, government cranked back up, and we, we got to work. Things, things were going great. We, we were out, and uh, then we found out that the, that the largest canine company in the U.S. put out a notice to all their employees, something to the effect of, of how to uh, get rid of global canine protection. They, they wanted to find a way to to get us put out of business, which we, we accepted that as a challenge that it was and uh, kept, kept on, kept on keeping on. But that, uh, so, so we got out and started rolling and uh, the things were going great. We, we were on track, on budget to, to getting closer to, to being uh, able to pay our bills. And then uh, this thing called COVID hit. Uh, airline traffic dropped about, about 40%, something like that. And and uh, cargo volumes dropped about 30, 35%, as did our, our revenue. You know, that, that was off, but it, it didn't hit us, us quite as bad as it did our competitors because we had a much broader base. And then when uh, the, the, you know, a lot of the COVID uh, uh, financial help came out because we had gotten out and had contracts with airlines, we qualified for the, uh, the uh, payroll support program that uh congress had put out there which kept us going and come to find out later we were the only one of the uh, companies that had qualified for that uh so uh, again what what seemed like something terrible ended up being real real positive but uh we so so it, it's i mean it, it's been a crazy roller coaster of a ride went from a a dead dead loss in a real estate deal to being a uh Really, a, a sizable liquidity event uh, this time last year. We had a, a majority sale and had a, uh, a private equity group that has uh, deep experience in the, in the cargo business. 
community around and bought and they, they have really done a great job boosting and, and uh, helping grow the company even more. So uh, I'm, I'm no longer involved in day to day, which is, is a good thing, but I uh, have, a, have a good carried interest in, in what's going forward. Man, you know, and we, <laughs> we, we can change this one if you feel led to give another one, but, you know, it, we're not at the end of this, but I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a bigger, you called it a roller coaster. I, I had written down as you were talking mountaintops and deep valleys. I mean, I, then yo-yo came to mind. I mean, in such a short period of time oh. to have such, hey, we got this great real estate deal. Bankrupt customer, 90 days. Great partner. Better <laughs> partner, uh, terrible partnership. I mean, I mean, I, I lost track of how many you know, ups and downs there were in that story. And I don't know, there's something, I, I mean, people can tell, this is one of my favorite things about you, is people can tell you've got kind of a calm demeanor. I'm, I'm sure there's ripples underneath the surface. Uh, and then that story you told earlier about, hey, when you get into a partnership, think about these things so you sort of have fewer conflicts. And I mean, so you get into a partnership with, it sounds like a pretty good partner, but after a lot of experience, frankly, with maybe some ups and downs of partnerships. So obviously you've learned some things about how to structure it, but what, as you think back, and I know it hadn't been that long since you sort of been out of the day to day, but as you think about all those ups and downs to get to this point, I mean, what do you attribute your ability to get through that to? It, it, it really comes back to, to faith that, that, uh, I, I really am, uh, I'm God. I came into the world with nothing. I leave with nothing. And that, uh, and, and it's that West Wesleyan uh, background, I guess that that provenient grace, the the side that goes before and to you know, you know look back at the back trail and you realize that you know there really was somebody there after me who was sending those benevolent spirits ahead to to to, to smooth the path and to to to, to shine the light on the, the, the things that we need to be aware of. Uh, so that's, I mean, that, that's it. I, I, I do believe that, that God has had his hand on, on that business uh, in particular. And, uh, and, and, I, and I say that's uh, my, my main partner, Eric, and I uh, both agree that we were going to operate the company based on uh, our, our Christian beliefs and Christian standards and, uh, you know, not, not requiring uh, by any means anybody to be a, a believer to come to work, but certainly trying to model what that been and and not being bashful about it, talking about it. And uh, had, had, uh, you know, we, we hired a chaplain for the company that we, we kept on through the, through the tough times. And uh, he, believe me, he, he, uh, he spent some time talking to the, to the, to the owners and uh, managers. Yeah. You got your money's worth out of that chaplain. <laughs> he went on that ride with everybody. So, yeah. I mean, that's just an amazing uh, testimony to not panic. And lean into your faith. Having a line partner certainly helps. Sounds like yeah. where you can kind of have those discussions where you both kind of commit to getting through them together, and uh, that's really really amazing. And then, you know, we were talking about that that thread from such a such a big life event to to lose your father as a sophomore in college, and the effect it had on your siblings as well, and the people that came alongside and with your own family and that sort of thing. And so I know you've been, uh, continue to be involved. And sometimes we, 
Sometimes we say in our business that uh, money doesn't always change you, but it kind of makes you more of who you are uh, and uh, can kind of accentuate things. And so I know you've been on the, the board of Youth for Christ and that sort of thing. And so how, how do you think, you know, kind of your giving or how do you think about, I know we were talking about business platforms and for you, it's more about, okay, with the financial blessings you've been given, how do you sort of think about giving back and, and your purpose and all those kind of things? Well, I, 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 uh, I've called myself an entrepreneurial uh, giver. Uh, because I, I like to in, invest my, uh, my, my tithe, so to speak, where, where I'm personally involved and I, I can be involved in it and know that it's not just check me, that it's, uh, that it truly is a kingdom investment that is, uh, yielding returns. And, uh, you know, along those same lines, the, the giving, uh, to, toward, uh, others who, who are in, uh, startup sorts of ministries. So I've got a, a, a dear friend who's, was 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 on the uh, Youth Christ USA board with me, goodness, uh, ten twelve years, and and uh, she she has uh, this this ministry called President Point, basically a shepherd leadership. Yeah, and so I I encouraged her to to uh, step out with that, and uh, finally end up uh, saying, you know, I, I'm I'd, I'd like to, to to give you a little bit of money to help you with this. I forget what it was she was working on, but. Uh, so I, I, I challenged her. I said, look, if I give this to you, you will end up to use it. And, and, and that helped her, uh, I guess, step out uh, and, and have, have continued to be involved with her like that or sometimes of help, helping match uh, challenge gifts that she's been given and sometimes putting them out there for others to, to, to meet. But I uh, just, just love, love uh, getting involved with ministry in that, that form or fashion. Well, I think that's such a – I like that term. Um, entrepreneurial giver where uh, not everybody's like that. Not, you know, some people don't think they have the time or the inclination to get kind of their hands dirty. But I think I like that for you connecting to kind of what your gifts are. And, uh, and and obviously you've been through a lot and ministry can be hard. And it's kind of nice to have people along with you that have been through some trials to kind of maybe help you through. So the money's helpful, but I'm, I'm sure that uh, that time, time and talent have been uh, equally or even more uh, helpful to them. So I really yeah. like that that string and doing things that are close to your heart. You know, things that I always tell people. They sometimes say, "Where should I start?" And we'll often say, "You know, just who's helped you or your family." You know, yeah. just thinking about those. That's right. Where, where you where you see the the uh, what what your contribution is going toward, where you know that it has helped you. And that there are others who might have a similar need that you could return that uh, blessing to. Yeah, and you have a unique understanding of of, of that ministry, mm-hmm. and again, maybe to be able to help too. So we'll, we'll kind of go, uh, man. You dropped all kinds of uh, uh, wisdom bombs on us for all kinds of uh, younger business people maybe coming along, but for some reason, you have this. You called it the roller coaster. I'm going to go with that term, but. I don't know. I've just never, I don't think I've ever heard a crazier roller coaster in one deal in such a short period of time. So I'm, I'm just picturing somebody else, somebody uh, younger than you and me on the roller coaster, and maybe it's on one of those downward deals. And they probably hadn't maybe down, been down in that pit uh, as much. W- what advice would you give them on, uh, you know, kind of how to get through that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the best, best experience, the, the least expensive experience you can get 
is from somebody who's been through similar times. Mm. Uh, you know, if uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that this never, never had to, to go into combat, but my, my partner, Tade commander and, and hands, he said, you know, the way, the best way to learn about combat is from others in it. And, uh, you, you, uh, somebody that, that's in that pit of, of business, uh, find, find somebody who, who you trust, who has been through something similar or, or as close to similar as possible that you can unpack it all because somebody who, who, who's not involved in, in, in running a business or the, the risk that's involved in emotional roller coaster. You're going to hear that word, you know, you need to get out. You need to fold your cards and, and, and get out while you can. And that may be the right thing to do, but not all. And having having somebody that can help you walk through that and and, and go through that analysis, looking at at, uh, at the pros and cons, uh, you, it's invaluable. Man, I think that's such a great tip because I, I think early in my career, I was maybe a little fearful truth is probably prideful about yeah. wanting to ask for help. I tell you what, the older I've gotten, the more, the bolder I've been about, uh, asking yeah. for help. And then, uh, and then as you get older, sometimes younger people will ask and it's amazing. I, I, do you think it's fair to say that most people are more willing to help than the younger folks might think they are? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, it, it it flatters me, and I, I love talking to you guys, uh, and and being able to just share with them. Uh, in fact, that is a promise I made to an old guy when I was, I think, twenty three, twenty four mm. years old. Get getting with the thought I might want to get into real estate as a career, and he spent a morning with me. And I mean, this guy's a multimillionaire, and at, at the end of this three hours after after nice breakfast and long conversation, I said, "Gosh, Mister Rast, I wish I could." pay you back this time and he just laughed he said he said son you can't afford my time he said but but what you can do is anytime somebody wants to talk to you about this great business real estate you you take the time and talk to them and so i've i've made a point of doing that uh as as, as often as i can well and, and i as as my experience has brought out I'll, I'll talk to anybody about anything i love it man well You've been generous with uh, with doing just that today and, and with me, and uh, I just thank you for that. I thank you for your time today and your friendship, and thanks for uh, being with us on the podcast. Man, thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Sign up for the newsletter at the uh, generousbusinessowner.com and uh, share it with your friends, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.